Welcome to the 27th episode of the ACC Now podcast. I'm News and Observer Sports Columnist with the guy. We have a special guest here, the nation's top bracketologist in 2021, uh, an old friend of the NNO, uh, uh, Patrick Stevens of the Washington Post. And Patrick, I got to say, you were a willing participant in one of the dumbest things we've ever done at the NNO, which was our mock <laughs> selection show in 2020 after the tournament was canceled. But I thought that was a great bracket just for the record. Well, I personally enjoyed the part where I wrote the Greg Gumbel script, you know, where it's like in Providence, the third team out of the Big East, you know? I thought that was the real highlight of my participation in there rather than just see simply being a big head on a projector screen um, at the, at, you know, as sort of the the selection committee chair. Although, you know, I wouldn't mind taking a, tur- a turn as the real chair. I don't think I'm ever going to get that, but it'd be fun. Not unless you uh, get hired as the AD at Towson or something. I think that's probably your best shot. Um, yeah, that the the scripting of all the Greg Gumble tidbits. This is New Mexico State's fourth trip to the tournament in the last seven years. Uh, they're called Aggies. Uh, all of that was was very was uh, made my job so much easier because you said it to me right about the time I was getting ready to do all of that, and it wouldn't have been anywhere nearly as good. But. Where it's 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 we're talking on Monday. It's the day after the uh, bracket was revealed. A somewhat odd bracket in some ways for for people who follow this kind of thing. And let's just jump right into there. You're someone who pays very close attention to what the committee has done in the past and how they sort of operate within their policies and procedures. Uh, where did they vary from past practice this year, and 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 what sort of surprised you about that? Well, I think the number one thing that stood that would stand out to most people is that it it seemed like, except for the automatic qualifiers, the season basically ended, I don't know, about 2.30 p.m. on Friday once Indiana beat Illinois. Like, after that, just about anything that happened didn't really seem to move the needle a whole lot. And, and some of that impacts things like, you know, Tennessee is a two-seed or three-seed rather than a two. Duke is a three or is a two rather than a three. Uh, some of it impacts things further down the board, like, you know, did Texas A&M legitimately play its way in there? Or, you know, the Colorado State-Boise State seating scenario, which seemed really weird to me. That was one of the things that jumped out almost from the, the first regional. So that, I think, is the thing that stands out. I think if you're looking for a more nuanced view, sitting there looking at Indiana at number 308 in non-conference strength of schedule, um, I, I did overreact a little bit in saying I can't remember the last time a team like that had gotten in as a as like an 11 seed or as a play-in team because it happened to Drake last year. But last year was so weird. Yeah, where you know you're just lucky you played a non-conference schedule at all against anybody. Uh, so that was you know let's let's just consider that an understandable outlier. But if you're going to sit here and reward a power conference team for basically only playing three remotely significant non-conference games. And not only that, but have them all scheduled for them, basically. The Crossroads Classic against Notre Dame, uh, a Gavit game against St. John's, and an ACC Big Ten Challenge game against Syracuse. And only one of those three teams is playing in the postseason. Uh, You know, if you're going to be able to do that and go 9-11 and in your league and really not do a whole lot away from home until the conference tournament, what are we doing here? I mean, should we just go ahead and have, you know, the threatened power conference breakaway tournament at that yeah. point and say the heck with anybody else? I thought, I thought Indiana, it's funny. Cause I feel, I feel like I, I said this the last time that they got in, but I felt like they were, they were a poor selection. Um, yeah. And 
I have a much bigger issue with them than I do even a Michigan team that is 17 and 14. And we're not going to be thinking about Michigan very much beyond Friday or Saturday or something like that. But I, I think that, you know, that was, that was a team that I, I really kind of struggled with Indiana, whereas a Texas A&M had, hadn't played a great non-conference schedule, but it was better, had a better overall profile. I mean, you look at the numbers when you'd line them up, you're just like, you would think that that was probably a somewhat better team, particularly the fact that they had beaten Alabama on the road, they'd beaten Arkansas and Auburn on neutral floors. And some of this probably is a little bit of me having seen all these Big Ten teams too and kind of knowing, like, these guys really aren't that good. Like, I trust <laughs> Iowa. I'm not sure I trust anybody else in that league right now uh, for a variety of reasons. But I, I just I, I, I just can't quite come to grips with why that profile was better unless you – and I, I'm, I'm willing to hear – pretty much any argument other than the conspiracy theory of well remember it's a tv show no it's no it's a men's basketball championship the idea if you have any sort of integrity in your product is to choose the 36 best at large teams and we can bicker about you know the the difference between say a wyoming and an smu i'm happy for wyoming i didn't think they were going to get in wonderful for them but i I just kind of look at indiana and think that that's just not on paper that team is not one of the 36 best at large teams no, and nor would it have been in any other year that its resume it, came. Like Virginia Tech, if they don't win the ACC tournament, would like a word. NC State in 2019, which played yeah. 10 Quadrant 1 games or 11 Quadrant 1 games, would like a word. Like it's Yes, and, and we yeah. can keep coming up with some of those teams too. 2014 SMU gets in that territory. 2010 Virginia Tech is in that conversation. 2022 Wake Forest. While Absolutely. we're on the subject Absolutely. of non-conference, that conversation. now, now I think Indiana is a more accomplished team than Wake Forest is this year. But um, if if that was a big thing that was working against the Demon Deacons, and it absolutely was, uh, in addition to the lack of high-end games, it should have been something that worked against Indiana as well. It, it strikes me, and I I know from the way that the committee does things that they really aren't looking at conferences globally. But it strikes me looking at this bracket. When I look at where Alabama is seated, uh, when I look at where Arkansas is seated, and then I look at where like Michigan State, which to me played like a 10 seed all season long, uh, is seated. It feels like they basically decided the Big Ten was good, the SEC was okay, the ACC was terrible, and then picked the data that fit that preconception. Now, I know that the way the committee does things, that would be very difficult to do. But I don't know how you get to the explanation of Indiana getting into this field other than, well, the Big Ten was good, so we're going to take this the last Big Ten team ahead of the SEC runner-up or ahead of Virginia Tech losing to Duke or ahead of any of these other teams that should have gotten in. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, who other than Texas A&M, who's the biggest omission in your mind? Um, I had SMU in the field, but – I did. I wasn't overwhelmed by that profile. I thought it yeah. was a good profile. It was the sort of team that you could look at, if especially if there had not been any chaos in the final days of the season, uh, in terms of Virginia Tech, uh, in terms of Indiana winning an extra game in the Big Ten tournament, where you would say, well, this is not an offensive team to anyone. It would have been a lot like picking Wichita State last year, frankly. Yeah, and I and I think SMU, you know, not that. Not that this really would have been the case because the committee's deliberations are clearly over before those last two games are complete. But SMU would have had a much better case had Memphis won 
the American Athletic Tournament mm. and obviously would have had a better case if they had beaten Memphis themselves on Saturday. So, uh, you know, you could argue Oklahoma, but they they had as many bites of the apple as anybody. And they were like four and 12 or something like that in, in quadrant one games. They were three and eight away from home. The thing that surprised me about the Wyoming selection, and again, I would rather see a bunch of Wyomings and a bunch of VCUs and a bunch of SMUs in the field than I would the Michigans and Texas A&Ms and, and Indianas, uh, because those teams all got plenty of opportunities to get in. You know, Wyoming had a bunch of quad two victories, but when you looked at them, they weren't like games that you really thought were all that meaningful. They beat one tournament team away from Laramie this year, and that team was Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> so that that was kind of what surprised me about, about them getting in. But good for them. I, I, I certainly I certainly think that it would be fun to see them beat Wyoming or beat Indiana by about twenty tomorrow. Yeah, whatever well, day like, it is. Feel like that's coming. Um, all right, let me circle back to what I was saying before we, before I steered us off track. Did you get the sense certain conferences were overvalued this year? Um, I mean, I think the the way the the back the the roundabout way I'll answer that is that when you have a bunch of teams, this is sort of the 2006 Missouri Valley scenario, where if you get teams that have somewhat decent non-conference performance, whether, they, whether they're actually beating good teams or not, you know, that it sort of cycles in to the league and everything, everybody just beats up on each other. So I think it leads to that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think you can look at Michigan being in the field without having to go to Dayton or Indiana being in the field at all and not think to yourself, gosh, you know, the Big Ten probably got a little overvalued here a bit. You know, the, the SEC thing was probably a little stranger. I, I thought all those teams were seated fairly. Maybe Tennessee should have been on the two line, but I thought Arkansas was a four. Okay. I thought that I thought Alabama was a six or a seven. You know, they had a bunch of high-end wins. And if you want to argue high-end wins, I'm, I'm cool with that, you know? Like, I'm actually cool with the idea of Rutgers being in the field because they beat all those. They beat everybody meaningful in the Big Ten this year. The only two teams in the Big Ten that they didn't beat were, I believe, Northwestern and Minnesota. <laughs> um, it, was, it was two of the teams that were playing on the first day of the Big Ten tournament that they didn't beat. But they beat everybody else at least once. So... I, I have no issues with, with Rutgers because, yeah, they had that loss to Lafayette that's just heinous. But they did, you know, you would sit there and say, I, I guess I guess kind of the subconscious question I feel like you would almost have to have if you were going through that process. And it's not a criteria. It's not something that you would overtly say. But you almost have to ask yourself, can these guys win a game in the NCAA tournament? And with Rutgers, you would say yes. On the other end yeah. of the cycle, you would say, like with a Xavier that missed, no, there's no way that team's beating anybody right now. Right. Um, and so I, that's a team that I'm glad didn't sneak in because they had basically done the bare minimum over the last month or so of the season uh, to, to earn a bit. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think because you have – there's a little bit of that, you know, if you want to call it a compound interest factor where if you play all these extra games against what we view as good teams, and if you're in the Big Ten and you're taking six or seven other teams, by dint of that, you're going to play eight or nine or ten of those games that you're probably going to look better as a result of that. If you're in the ACC and you only play three or four of those, or if you get Notre Dame's schedule where your, two your six double opponents are the six teams that played hashtag Tuesday in Brooklyn, you yeah. know, like – 
suddenly you just don't have as many opportunities to get the job done. Yeah. Steve Forbes said today that when, you know, obviously they played a terrible non-conference schedule because they had 15 mm-hmm. new guys coming in and they didn't want to overschedule the way like Virginia Tech did early. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I knew we were only going to get whatever it was, three quadrant one opportunities in, in 20 ACC games. I mean, nobody could see that the ACC being that bad coming. Uh, but, but you know, Notre Dame is a good example of a team that really had to fight to overcome that. My issue with the way that, I mean, I have a lot of issues with the way the community hmm. feel more of them sort of, why are we doing this like it's 1977 when we have perfectly good ways to like do this in 30 seconds and be fair and accurate about it. But the, the quadrants, like I think the quadrants, the way they're set up are better than the old RPI quadrants. They do take into account home and road, although it's not a scientific breakdown. We know what those quadrants should be if you really want to value those wins the same way. But when the committee starts looking at those quadrants because of the way they're on the team sheet, they look at quantity over quality and they'll assess like a seven and nine team in quadrant one over like a two and O team in quadrant one, because they have seven quadrant one wins, which is the dumbest thing you could, the, the dumbest way you could evaluate that data. This team had two quadrant one wins. It obviously, you know, played at a lower level and it won both of them. It took every opportunity it had and it won them. And this team that went seven and nine played 16 quadrant one games and lost nine of them. And yet they're lionized for having seven quadrant one. That, that's the part that drives me crazy. If you can't tell the difference between a seven and five quadrant one t- team and a three and O quadrant one team, like we shouldn't be doing this. Now we can get on the whole rant about how this field should be picked and how everything the committee is trying to measure. People have already figured out ways to measure that and do it accurately. Uh, you know, and that's, that's a whole nother conversation. I wanted to ask you specifically about one thing the committee does that strikes me as particularly outdated and see if you have a solution for it. And it is the Tennessee Duke issue. Mm -hmm. It is the conference tournaments don't matter issue because for people who don't know this and Patrick does, and I do one of the first things the committee does when it gets together on Wednesday in Indianapolis or New York or wherever is it votes in however many at large teams right then and decides that they're in the field. And then it picks the one and two seats. And those are basically set. Now, what they do is they look at every team over the course of this process compared to the team above it and the team below it on the seed list. And that's called scrubbing. And the committee chairman, Tom Burnett, who's the Southland Conference Commissioner, and I do think gets some of this stuff, said that Tennessee was state of three because they couldn't scrub it above Wisconsin. So basically, this vote that you took for the three seats probably Thursday morning is now set in stone, basically because of the two teams on either side of Tennessee and the two teams on either side of Duke, it strikes me as the kind of thing you would do if you had to do this without computers, hmm. you know, if it was like 1977. Yeah. So, all right. So what's now other than just using a metric like wins above bubble, which makes the most sense because you are K- K- uh, KPI, whatever there's metrics that assess the value of a win and they give you points for winning that game or points for losing that game. And we can compare everyone equally, but Committee is never going to do that. In the current structure, Patrick, do you see a solution to the seating problem? And isn't there just a better way to do this by saving the the seating part of this till Friday or something when you're comparing teams instead of locking them in place? I'm going to tell you the single best way to solve this is to make Saturday the last day of the season and to make Sunday essentially the day for all of this extensive debate. Basically say, y'all are finishing by 
nine o'clock Eastern on Saturday, and we'll spit out what we have to spit out by the end of the day. Um, but I do think the other thing is is that some of this, some some of these discussions, it feels like are are not just worth revisiting, but you would think you would be spending the time sort of saying, "Hey, this Tennessee just beat Kentucky. Doesn't this vic- doesn't this on the surface does this result not have some sort of significance?" I'm not. I'm not talking about a result such as Duke beating Syracuse in the ACC sure, quarterfinals. Sure. You would you would not think twice about a result like that. You would not think twice about a result such as what Purdue beating Penn State, or even really Purdue beating a Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament. You wouldn't think twice about uh, you know we could use Arizona UCLA. That doesn't that that yeah. result wouldn't have changed. USC beating still, Oregon. Exactly. But there are certain results over the course of the week where you go, whoa, this seems significant. And if you've been swimming in data and, you know, let's give all these folks on the committee credit, you'd like to think, and I I believe that most of these folks are swimming in data for months leading into this. You know, it's not like, it's not like I could sit here and tell you, you know, well, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the Mountain West tournament, you know, Wyoming beat UNLV. And, you know, that would register, like, what the meaning of that, one way or the other. You know, the meaning of Boise State over San Diego State, the meaning of Memphis over SMU, and on we go. And so it would seem like you have a handful of those results where you would go, hey, wait a minute, let's check this. Let's, let's, let's move, look at this team relative to all of those teams. And if you have to move a couple teams around because you reevaluated it, I, I can tell you, granted, it's a lot easier to go through the process alone than it is with 11 other people, right? You can, you can basically reevaluate on your own. But there are times every year where I, where I go, okay, wait a minute, I might not have seen something the first time or the second time. This doesn't look as good. And maybe, you know, Notre Dame's a great example because I, I thought they were in better shape even after the loss to Virginia Tech and just kind of kept looking, kept looking, kept looking. It's like, maybe they are going to be in Dayton. And I had them as, as the team that got shipped to Dayton because of the Richmond upset in the A-10 tournament, mm-hmm. rather than being in Dayton as the last team in the field. So, you know, it's okay. You know, it's okay to think about this stuff. It's okay to reevaluate. And you feel like leaving it on a shelf once you've made a decision on Wednesday or Thursday sort of ignores other data that you have available to you and other time that you have available to you. I mean, it's weird. It's weird for me to find myself in this spot because for years I basically said, Hey, the conference tournament, it's no more than 10, maybe 15% of somebody's season. If they play, they play five games somehow it's close to 15, roughly 15% of the season. So it shouldn't be treated as being worth 40% of the season. But it also shouldn't be treated as if it's one percent of the season either. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, the the issue that I have additionally is they spend all this time seeding teams and voting on that largest. They don't even start looking at the bracket until until Sunday. The and bracket, so, the for all of the conspiracy theories that people have about the bracket, you know, what I from what I understand, that is a very haphazard, fairly slapdash exercise in terms of throwing everybody together. And when people get upset about matchups and stuff, I mean, I'm like, guys, I don't think they spend very much time on that stuff. Sometimes you get things where, you know, 
I think there's been at least one year where BYU got stuck on a Friday-Sunday site or had the potential of a Friday-Sunday yeah. site because of details that were overlooked. I don't think they spend a lot of time on that. And so, you know, for example, you know, I know it's sort of a running joke, figured that Carolina would get paired with Kansas somehow, right? Like in a as an 8-9 in in, with a 1 seed, you know, you figure, well, they're probably not going to be in Duke's region, so you're starting to talk about a one in three chance. Well, that could look like a conspiracy, or it could just be a one in three chance, which isn't terrible, all things considered. I think this year proved just how little time they put into bracketing because the failure to put Duke in Kentucky and Philadelphia must have driven CBS right up the wall, you know, 30 years later. Uh, that that one, and then, you know, the opportunity to put Carolina and Kansas together, I, I don't think... They've ever deliberately passed on that, but you know that things things like that. Um, you know, and I think if you really were looking at this intentionally, you wouldn't put San Francisco and Murray State together because it's just if, if you're going to have if Murray State's earned the right to be a seven, they've earned the right to play a lousy power conference team as a ten, and if San Francisco's earned the right to be the third team out of the West Coast Conference, they've earned the right to play Michigan State as a seven or something like that. You know, I, I feel like you know, that there's a missed opportunity there to, you know, putting those teams together. Whereas like Davidson, Michigan state, bring it on. Like that's bring exactly, that's what everyone wants to see in the first round. That's what everybody wants to see in the first round. You know, I think the first round matchup that I like the least out of all of them, the one where I would like to pick against both teams and just give a bye to the, whoever they're going to play next is the LSU Iowa state pair where LSU was 15 and one and finished what 22 and 10 or something with like that. With an interim coach now. With an with an interim coach. And this is the second time in four years that LSU has had an interim slash acting coach in the NCAA tournament. It's incredible. Um and then you know Iowa State, which is I think eight and twelve since Christmas, uh, you know, neither one of those teams is playing particularly well. It's almost a, a gift to the to to the the folks at Wisconsin that they not only get to play in Madison or in Milwaukee for the first weekend, but they get to play one of those teams if they can get past Colgate. I mean, I think I think the Badgers will have a tougher time in that first round game than with whoever they get in the second round. I think there's a decent chance we see Colgate in the Sweet 16 because I, I think it's going to look possible. like every team they see in the regular season just better. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's I mean, obviously Johnny Davis is terrific, but. You know, that's not the style of play is not going to phase Colgate. No, at all. it will not. And uh yeah, and 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 LSU and Iowa State are terrible. I, that's that's funny because you know, you, before the selection, when you think about picking and all that stuff, there's always teams I'm dying to pick against. Um, or pick, you know, like like for a lot of us who believe in analytics, you know, Wisconsin and Providence were mm-hmm. going to be the two teams that you're just dying to 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 go against as other people pick those teams. And, and- and to interrupt here, but for Providence to draw an underseeded, sizzling hot South Dakota State team that shoots almost forty-five percent from three, I mean, you're basically being asked to suspend disbelief, thinking that the Jackrabbits aren't winning that game by a dozen. My only concern about that, my only concern, and, so, and, and South Dakota State was hundred percent one of those teams that you have on your list of, oh, I hope they get the right matchup. I hope they get to play, you know, Syracuse in the first round or whatever. Hmm. Uh, that. <laughs> So it, it falls into the category of if it was that easy, everyone would get it right, mm-hmm. uh, which which happened last year with, of course, a, a matchup that I'm, I'm now maybe it was Colgate, but everyone had some struggling team losing in the first round. It's it, it this does confound logic sometimes, but uh, South Dakota State can play 
There's no question about it. And, uh, and that boy, talk about drawing the team you'd want to draw. Um, anything else that caught your eye uh, in the, in, in the sort of, when you started doing your breakdown of, of what, of the, of what the committee did that, that you thought was interesting or unusual? I thought that the Boise State Colorado State deal was a little odd. You know, I granted Colorado State swept the regular season series. So if you want to argue that Colorado State is on the same line or maybe even one line above, I, I could buy that. But I didn't think that they were five teams apart on the seed list. Boise State won the regular season, won the conference tournament, swept three from San Diego State. Uh, and, and to me, you know, a lot of people like to make a big deal of oh, the, the Tennessee scenario, right? That's what has people up in arms today. But if you make a two seed, a three seed, that doesn't really disrupt a whole lot. But if you make a five seed, a seven seed, like the committee basically did with Connecticut in 2014, and that's an extreme example. But if, but if you make a six seed, an eight seed, suddenly you've got a lot more ripple effects there. You've, yeah. made, you've made a game for a one or two seed in the second round a lot harder than it needed to be. Oh, and you've also so, and you've also opened up through some form of falling dominoes an easier game somewhere probably for a three seed or a four seed to be able to make it through, and so I, I look at those decisions. Those are the seeding errors that really really stand out to me. As you know, maybe you guys you know messed this up a little bit, um, and so. You know, I, I think that Boise and Colorado State should not have been separated by two lines uh, on that seed list. I, I had Boise as a six, and I think I had Colorado State as an eight, basically flipped their spots. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's one that definitely stood out to me as well. That was, for me, the, the example of that is the Wichita State-Kentucky bracket, whenever that was three, three mm -hmm. or four years ago, where neither of those teams deserved to play each other that early. But that's how they were seeded. And that wasn't Kentucky being seeded badly. It was Wichita State being seeded poorly. Uh, all right. I know you spend more time watching Maryland now or Maryland in the Big Ten now than Maryland in the ACC now. But do you feel like, and, oh, and the point, I think Duke would much rather have Tennessee's bracket than its own, <laughs> just for the record, having to go through Tom Izzo out west where Kay's never won a game, Texas mm -hmm. Tech, which is not going to be intimidated in any way by Duke, and nope. then have to play Gonzaga in San Francisco, whereas Tennessee is, is you know, I, I think they've got a decent shot at the Elite Eight. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I look at, I look at Tennessee. I mean, that's my pick. That's my pick out of that bracket. Period. You know, they've already beaten Arizona once this season. No reason to think that they can't do it again. Um, yeah. And you look at the bottom half of that draw: an overseeded Colorado State team, a Michigan team that you could argue doesn't even belong in the field. I I, I think that with their metrics, they were going to get in. Um, I'm not impressed by them, but I get why they're in. I have to swing it back around. I get them much easier than I get Indiana. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, out of that, out of that Pittsburgh portion of that draw, you know, Villanova's good. I, I fully expect Loyola Chicago to beat Ohio state. That's one of those, like you just sh shrug at it and go, Ohio state's playing poorly right now. And Loyola Chicago is still old, still well coached, even with a really young coach, they're going to be fine. And so, but I, I think Tennessee is a team that, that can certainly get through that half of the draw. And if they get Arizona or – I mean, does Illinois really scare anybody at this no, point? I, I mean, you do have, you I have to deal with Coburn, but – I mean, their guards just aren't nearly as good as they were last year, and that's just a reality. I, to me, the team to beat in that region is Houston. So I think Houston-Tennessee in the regional final is kind of what I'm expecting, and Houston will basically be playing a home game in San Antonio. 
which is one of the reasons I like the Cougars. I know they're missing two great players, but they've been able to muddle through that. Their analytics are terrific. And their Calvin analytics are, does what he's doing. Their analytics are terrific. I actually think that UAB has a chance to give them some problems in that first. Interesting. Game. Well, let's so. make a note of that. Uh, okay, so my, my original question before getting sidetracked again, <laughs> was the ACC seeded fairly in your mind? Well, Duke probably is a line better than it should be. For sure. I, uh, I had I had Carolina as an eight and would have flipped them to a nine had Memphis won that last game. That's the sort of that's the sort of tweak that I could see the committee making at the last second because it doesn't change anything logistically besides what color uniform you'll wear. So I thought Carolina was seated fairly. I had Notre Dame in a play-in game, maybe not as close to the edge, but had them in a play-in game. I had Miami, I think, on the nine line, if I recall right. Uh, but nine or ten, that's probably about right for them. I should probably check this as we're talking to make sure that I'm looking at the right stuff here. Um, I had my, I actually had Miami on the ten line, okay. and then, and so that that was fair. And then Virginia Tech. You know, I didn't know what they were going to do there, in part because like Virginia Tech was a little bit like Carolina a week earlier. Like there was one thing missing from that resume. Like up until Carolina went to Cameron, it was, well, they've beaten everybody they're supposed to beat except Pitt on that random night and beaten nobody that they weren't supposed to beat. And then they win that road game, and it's like, oh, okay, everything else fits together here, and you can put them in the middle of the bracket, and nobody's going to blink it up. I thought Virginia Tech was the same way with the with the notable loss, the lack of notable wins that they had. I mean, let's be honest here. Like, if you went down, if you look at their team sheet and you take out what they did at the ACC tournament, their best victory was at Miami. Their second best victory was at home against Notre Dame, and their third best victory was at Maryland. Yeah. I mean, that's not that's not exactly the the greatest profile to 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 be toting there. But now you have a neutral site over Notre Dame, a neutral site over Carolina, a neutral site over Duke. And I thought they had a chance to sort of zoom further up. So that's certainly the committee not factoring in the last few days of this. I thought they just sort of slapped them in there as an 11. Remember, too, last year you had Georgetown. And granted, not every year is the same. But Georgetown was a 12 seed as a 500 team coming out of the Big East. I mean, and that's a team that you could have argued at least a line further down if you wanted to. I mean, I and this was a Virginia, this was a Virginia Tech team that when you compared them and their accomplishments at the end of the season compared to the teams that were headed to Dayton, it was better. And so I kind of thought that eleven or ten or even nine was in play for that, or ten or ten or nine, and eleven maybe a hair underseated. Uh, but you know, the fact is is that I wasn't sure they were going to get in if they hadn't won that game. So that's sort of the fair counter argument to that. So not huge issues. With with how the ACC was seated, Duke probably caught a break, and Virginia Tech maybe could argue itself up a line or two. Yeah, I mean Duke caught a break getting a two seed. I think Duke, you know, given Mike Shashevsky's NCAA tournament record out mm-hmm. west, that's the one thing Duke didn't want was to get sent to San Francisco. But on the other hand, forty two years later, he's still got a box to check. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for your time. You can find his bracket insights, including a breakdown. Uh, of all of this and more at the Washington Post. And you can follow him on Twitter at Discourse D1SCOURSE. Patrick, if it was up to me, not only would the ACC hire you as their historian, the NCAA would just let you make the bracket and be done with it once <laughs> they pick the teams. But that's- I, don't think in- I don't think Indiana fans would like that very much. 
Well, maybe maybe they don't let you pick the teams because there's too much money on the line, but they should let you be making brackets all week with the teams they have so you get teams going to the right places. And the idea that being the fourth number two seed gets you sent to a worse region than being the first number three seed is something we need to look at. But that is that th this this sounds like a conversation for sometime in the in the summer in the dull months for uh, for a true overhaul of the entire process. No, we'll figure it out because we got solutions for everything else. Patrick, thank you very much for your time and your insight, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Thanks so much for having me.